Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank, as you can find me and my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg, joined by my co-host, our jack of all trades at the pod, and uh, we bring him on. He is Alex Uplinger at Alex underscore up seven at full underscore slate underscore pod, managing the podcast Twitter. Alex, good to have you aboard as we run through the NFL week four rotation. Greg, what is up, man? I'm so excited for this week so many interesting matchups so many great storylines i'm just i'm just sad to see another week you know winding down i'm glad we have an actual one this year though you're already in that mood of like oh my god it's already been three of these (laughs) it's not enough it's never enough they always seem to one-up themselves the nfl is just the best league ever yeah i mean i i totally get that enthusiasm and i sometimes think about it like oh it's already been three but i don't know i think i also look at it as i really like the holidays i don't know about you so the faster we get through the nfl season that also means the closer we get to thanksgiving christmas oh yeah well thanksgiving is my favorite holiday oh it's the best of the year. we've it's definitely incredible. talked about before the it's just food beer and football and there's nothing really better than that to be honest exactly Sorry, apologize to my girlfriend and new dog, but the truth, she probably <laughs> Dude, she definitely does not listen. Like going so. back to your hometown and seeing everybody you went to high school with, I'm a social butterfly, so I love that stuff. Oh, my God. And not to mention there's there's college basketball starting those oh, tournaments. Those weird me. ones are, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Love M. Foster is beating Duke at Cameron Indoor. <laughs> I can't wait. That's probably my second favorite sport, so it's just the best time of the year for me. Let's get into it, and without further ado, jump into the NFL Week 4 rotation as we begin Thursday Night Football. The Jacksonville Jaguars, rotation number 101, traveling to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals, rotation number 102. Total in this game of 46. 
the Bengals are now out to eight-point home chalk. And when we look at this game, obviously Cincinnati, uh, to its credit, has gotten off to a good start with a victory at home against Minnesota, a victory last week at Heinz Field against the Steelers, and you know a game that was pretty competitive, even though I felt like Chicago was ahead most of the way. And we lost by three at Soldier Field. So the Bengals are two and one. And obviously Jacksonville is a tire fire at 0-3 and 0-3 and and against the spread. Cincinnati, for what it's worth, 2-1 and against the spread as well. With both of those victories coming as short underdogs. I got, I got to give Cincy a little credit. They did. They pushed against Chicago a little backdoor push, depending what number you got. I know I had plus oh, three. I got it early in the week. So, yeah, no, you're right. Closing lines are two and one. Earlier, they two oh and one. So a little credit. They came back to backdoor cover. Right. Even though I think Burrow threw two interceptions on two. Well, that's right. You had Cincinnati in that game. So you, yeah. you got to push with the good number. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, but yeah, uh, you're right. But no, uh, sidewise, I, I I can't get there with Cincinnati. I would probably lean that way, but I always have some reservations when you have teams that have been routinely good dogs thrusted into the favorite role. Obviously, it's a different story when you have teams that are able to cover numbers as favorites. Well, then you wouldn't have any reservations backing them as dogs. But Cincinnati, especially last year, was one of those teams where it was just like, well, they're going to get behind because their defense sucks. But Burrow's going to hit Tyler Boyd, or he's going to hit T. Higgins, and Mixon's going to get his yards, and they'll get you through the back door. That was kind of the Bengals, which obviously, by the way, quick gambling pet peeve of mine, back door only applies to late covers by the underdog. It's called the front door when the favorite covers late. Uh, so I feel like people don't know that, but just wanted to get that out there. Uh, so <laughs> That's a good little tidbit. To, to did you know that? Away. I have heard that, but I definitely don't use that enough. I'll be uh, throwing that in the repertoire for sure. Yeah. So like if a team's up three, laying five, and they get like a late pick six or like that crazy hail or lateral Monday night football game that Baltimore covered on last year, that those are front door covers. I guess it kind of depends what side you're on. What if you have the dog? Would you say, oh, I got uh, front door covers here in play? Or would you be upset about your team getting backdoored? I don't know. Semantics. I don't Semantics, think matters, yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. So, well, back to my point, though. Uh, Cincinnati was always kind of that dog that would have the good enough offense to score enough to move the ball late in the game when it was all but over and, and sneak in the back door or just in general – keep games close and cover numbers. Uh, now is a big favorite. That's my thing. Like some reservations about the Bengals now in a role where, you know, they're, the expectations are squarely on them. And so how do they respond? Having said that, as I mentioned, I still lean that way. Trend that I looked up that I like not enough to play Cincinnati. Uh, but we have Urban Meyer here in a spot that I think is really challenging. Uh, the first year head coach on Thursday Night Football. Since 2015, rookie head coaches have gone 6-15 against the spread on Thursday Night Football. 
This applied last week to Houston with David Culley. And, uh, of course, Carolina went to Houston and got the win and cover. And it applies, obviously, this week to Jacksonville. And I think it's a little stronger because Houston was at home last week and Jacksonville is on the road. So that makes the week even more challenging. So I I like that trend. If you're playing Cincinnati, I think that's got to be part of your handicap that Jacksonville just can't win on a normal week. So why would they win on a short week? Um, But I do think that I'm going to look at Joe Burrow's completion prop uh, or excuse me, his passing attempts prop. Uh, I've heard a couple people on this and I think the logic is sound. Joe Burrow has been 30 attempts or below in all three of Cincinnati's wins and the team is two and one. So why would they look to deviate from having Burrow throw the ball a bunch? I also like this because he's coming back from a major injury. So it might just not be in their plans early on to want him to throw a lot. Remember opening night for Dallas against Tampa, Dak is coming back from that injury and he's throwing the ball 60 times. And everybody's like, what the hell is Dallas doing now? Granted, they're playing Tampa Bay, so they didn't have much of a choice because you really can't run on the Bucks. But having said that, I, I think it's definitely in Cincinnati's best interest early on as Burrow took a beating in that game that you had the Bengals in against the Bears. I think you probably still want to ease them in a little bit with this short week, especially. And uh, they're an eight-point favorite, so you would think the game flow would favor running the ball more anyway. I think you said this number is at 30 and a half. I would play it there. Uh, my book will probably hang the prop tomorrow, and I'll look more at it. But uh, I think the Burrow passing attempts under prop makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's a great play. I Also, I'm looking at Joe Mixon, his rushing attempts. The line on DraftKings is currently 20.5, which is a lot. So they're obviously expecting him to run the ball a lot. So I think that lends well to what you're thinking with throwing the ball a little less. Um, but I saw a trend that rookie quarterbacks, they're 0-9 against the spread against non-rookies, which would apply here. Lawrence first, Burrow, Burrow in the second year. Urban Meyer fucking sucks. I just I can't support this guy at all. He's such a fucking fraud. Just he is probably a great recruiter. I think he can pod without yeah. sitting on Urban Meyer. No. Never once, because they're gonna probably get <laughs> gonna probably get fucking blown out here. I, I'm sure since the Calvary they'll win comfortably. The last two weeks, little home dog early game yeah. against the West yeah. Coast team, Denver and Arizona, couldn't get yeah. it done. If they can't cover in that spot, I I just don't see it. I, he, I'm either, sure he's a, mind too. They couldn't cover against Denver with a kickoff return touchdown, and they couldn't cover against Arizona with a missed field goal return touchdown. <laughs> just two. Two unbelievable plays. You don't really see those too often now in the NFL. Definitely never a field goal return. But, yeah, I just I can't really get to a side here. Cincinnati just can't be laying this many points. They've only been a favorite of seven and a half or more 27 times since 2003, and they went 12-14-1 against the spread. But Jacksonville's defense is just so bad, it's really tough to take the points here. They're 28th in the NFL, they've allowed 30.3 points per game so far. And Cincinnati's defense has actually been pretty good. They're only allowing 18 points per game. They really shut down the Steelers, but that is probably more on Roethlisberger. Got to play something. Obviously, standalone game Thursday night. So I have a prop. 
that I'm going to be playing. This is a same-game parlay on DraftKings. And it's Burrow and Lawrence to both go over 199.5 passing yards. Cincinnati money line, and then Lawrence to throw one touchdown pass, which is plus 140 since he's allowed one or more passing touchdowns every game so far this year. And that was one passing touchdown last week against the Steelers. And that offense is just, they're not very good because Ben Roethlisberger should probably hang it up and retire. But also NFL favorites of seven points or more, they're only hitting at 48.2% against the spread since 2003, which I think makes perfect sense. NFL is a very week-to-week league. It's really tough to lay seven against really anyone, but I think if you're going to cover it against anyone, it's probably this Jacksonville Jags team and this bad defense. But I'm looking more towards the auto over with a terrible Jacksonville defense, and I think they have enough playmakers to maybe score 14 or so, and then you hope Cincinnati scores 35-30 you get over 46. It's just such a bad Jacksonville defense. I think we could see a couple garbage time touchdowns push this over. Alex, let me ask you, too, because we talk often about the first touchdown prop, particularly in a primetime game, and here we have uh, the uh, one thing that I was actually considering was to take the Jacksonville newly acquired tight end, Dan Arnold, thinking that Jacksonville maybe looks to use him. I mean, they got him for a reason. He's a big price. I talked about how with the bigger underdogs just taking the dog to score the first touchdown you're going to get a longer price even on like the favorite for Jacksonville is James Robinson, who's still 11 to one. Uh, But I was looking all the way down at Arnold just based on the fact that, as I said, they just traded for him tight end. So maybe, you know, you get in tight on the goal line. Robinson had a good game for Jacksonville last week, play fake, dump it to the tight end over the top. But point I wanted to ask you, I mean, certainly feel free to chime in on that philosophy with Arnold at 35 to one, but do you like having, when we play these first touchdowns, do you like some skin in the game on both sides of the ball with each team? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know where this came from or why I do it, but I do two players on each side and generally nothing on two players on each side. So four total. Yeah. So four total, every primetime game, just kind of, I don't know. I don't know why there's a method to the madness somewhere, but, Nothing below 10 to 1. So I'm looking at that. Arnold 22 to 1. I really like that. But I would just be concerned, like, how much does he know of this offense? Can they really plug him in for much? Aside from probably at the goal line, some play action shit. You know, it's probably like two plays. Yeah. So I like that at 22 to 1. I think, I think Chenault at 18 to 1 is really interesting. I also kind of like Burrow at 16 to 1. He's pretty mobile. You get a play breakdown, or like we saw. Design run with wow, Sam Darnold. Thirty-five week. to one on Arnold and twenty-two to one on Burrow. So I'm getting some better numbers wow. there. I love that. This is DraftKings. What I'm looking at. So yeah, I would I would play both those. Those are definitely worth a dart. You throw 
Through ten dollars, you win. Yeah, and, and Burrow is pretty mobile. You know, I mean, exactly. the quarterback draw on the goal line seems reasonable, right? Right, and then you always have the like the play breaks down, and he's, you know, he's rolling out for some reason on a play action pass and breaks down and he gets in there. And yeah, I really like playing quarterbacks that are relatively mobile, like we saw last week with Sam Darnold. We saw Daniel Jones the other week at a huge number, which is pretty wild because he actually runs design quarterback draws. So I really like playing those quarterbacks at those numbers. So let's keep things moving and get into the first game in the rotation on Sunday. And it is the Washington football team heading to Atlanta to take on the Atlanta Falcons. We're seeing Washington right now, a short road favorite of a point and a half total in this game of 47 and a half and I do the big fuck you to the Washington football team for whatever that was last week against Buffalo. It wasn't football. I was <laughs> no, pissed. I wasn't even close. I, I had a little value hope. didn't matter at all. And listen, I don't even care if like, we'll get into this later. Cause I beat a line move on a couple games that I bet early. I don't even necessarily want the game to land. And in between what the opening and closing number and that line value to matter. Like I was thinking once I saw that line move, maybe Washington could win the game outright. And like that money is going to be so sharp that anyone that got in at any point in the line move is going to cash. That is fine with me too. I like, I just want to see that line move pay off in some direction, whether it's covering just because you got in early or a big outright win or something. And it just was like the amount of people that faded that kind of line move and just late seven with Buffalo and came in on Sunday and, and won that are feeling themselves after that. Like it's just, that's the worst. And it just bothers me. So Washington, I can't believe you didn't show up last week. That was embarrassing. Moving on to this week. I initially leaned Atlanta on this side. Uh, I do think that having said that, uh, I'm probably going to steer clear of it because just kind of a uh, a betting rule of thumb for me personally, and I don't know if you're like this, Alex. I bet Washington twice this season in three weeks, and obviously they haven't covered a number yet this year. But I don't like then turning around and fading a team that I've recently bet a lot and then potentially watching that team cover when I'm fading them and losing again. Yeah, I think week to week, it's tough. NFL is just such a sport that anyone, I mean, any given Sunday is a phrase for a reason. They really can win any game, any time. It's just such a random week at times. But I I don't blame you for not going back to that Washington well. I think I ultimately will, but I just have a few tenets of gambling, and one is fuck the Falcons. I fucking can't bet them anymore. Not after those two pick sixes. When Man, I gave them recovering. out of your last week. That was one of my right sides. The yep. winners. I don't know if that was a right side in that I, game. Yeah, just after that Bucks game, I. It's really tough to bet the Falcons. Oh, you were riding them, catching all those points, huh? Yeah, and now I was upset last week, and then, of course, I couldn't bet them despite Daniel Jones being terrible at home. I couldn't get there with them against the Giants, and it burned me. 
So I actually do instead. I kind of thought, well, initially I leaned Atlanta. Um, but I think part of that lean correlates to the total. And so my stronger play was going to be on the over 47 and a half, which is a bet I have placed. At what point do we just accept that Washington has an overrated defense? I mean, I'm getting pretty close to that point. Uh, Chase Young has zero sacks. And William Jackson the third has not been that great on the outside. So um, I think Atlanta can score here. If Dawson Knox can go four for 41 and a touchdown, I would expect a get-right game for Kyle Pitts. Adam, or excuse me, Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders both flirted with 100 yards receiving last week for Buffalo. So I know Matt Ryan really hasn't been throwing the ball downfield much, but I think this is a get-right spot not only for Pitts but for Calvin Ridley. I think the Atlanta offense really shows up, and obviously that Atlanta defense, I mean, take in, read into that performance as you may against the Giants last week, but the defense for Atlanta has been a turnstile in years. And look no further than the week one whitewashing that Philadelphia put on Atlanta for evidence of that, and the Eagles obviously haven't looked good at all the last two weeks. So I think that says a lot about how bad Atlanta's defense might be. I think Taylor Heineke, certainly, I mean, Washington, for as bad as it played last week, granted, still had a short field with with that weird kick that they were able to recover, that kind of bloop kick. It looked like they were getting back in the game there in the second quarter. But they still got 23 against Buffalo. So I think the winner here ends up close to 30, and I think it'll be a competitive enough game where the loser can get at least 20, which makes me like over 47 and a half. Uh, one last thing on Atlanta. I know you're, you know, sour grapes over that not covering in week two against Tampa, but they really should be two and one against the spread if it weren't for those defensive touchdowns for the Bucks. Obviously, the outright win for Atlanta in week three. So that also is why I, against the Giants, that game for Atlanta. This is also why I lean with the Atlanta side here. I just think, you know, first year coach Arthur Smith got his first win was competitive for three quarters against Tampa Bay. I think there's more positive juju in that Atlanta locker room. But like I said, I think the over is a better play. If you like Atlanta, uh, take the Falcons to score enough. And I don't trust Atlanta's defense yet to keep the game under in that instance. I think that's the, the best bet in this game is the over. And then I would probably also look at some Anytime touchdown props. I don't see any available yet, but there's going to be a lot of points scored here. I think you couldn't go wrong with taking really any of these guys to score a touchdown. If you can get plus money on anyone, like I would love Pitts or Logan Thomas, but this Washington defense is highly, highly overrated. If they can't get right against the Falcons, then they should probably just cancel the season. Atlanta's allowed. 2.3 sacks per game. So I expect the Washington front to be back there pretty often. We'll see. But their secondary has just been so bad. William Jackson just took a big payday, and he's really hasn't done shit the entire season. Three weeks in, but still. I thought he was, you know, a man-to-man shutdown corner, and he has not done any of that. Washington's ranked 27th in the NFL. They've allowed 307 passing yards per game through three weeks just really bad. Granted, they've played 
two of the better quarterbacks in the NFL with Allen and Herbert. But I think the over is a great play. I'm probably going to go back to the well with Washington, unfortunately. But I think they just have way more playmakers on offense. I think I really like the running attack. Way more playmakers on offense? Absolutely. Especially if Curtis Samuel can go. McLaurin, arguably better than Ridley. Antonio Gibson is the best player on the field, probably. Logan Thomas over Pitts. Logan Thomas over Pitts, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man, maybe I'm getting brainwashed. I listen to Washington sports talk. I mean, if you want to say that Washington has a better offense, I could buy that, but. Yeah, more playmakers. Way more Thomas over Pitts, McLaurin over Ridley. I don't know that I'm down yeah. with either one of those. I mean, I think I'm being brainwashed. I think a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, I, you're probably already giving Soto the MVP. I mean, <laughs> he is the MVP. We can keep the DC he's sports the, to another time. Uh, Soto arguably is. He's the best. He of is the having three players. None are making the playoffs. Give Soto the MVP, and not just because I have plus six hundred, but. Or I'm a Nats fan, but that did you aside, get in on that, by the way, that plus 600? That was preseason. I'm sure it was probably. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure it was would way higher. Than that, but. I'm sure midseason, it was probably like plus 2,000 when they were not doing shit. And, but now he's okay. in the race for the batting title. But, yeah, back to the game. Take the over. I agree with Greg. There we go. So. Let's go to a divisional matchup in the Windy City, where it's the Detroit Lions traveling about four hours to Chicago as the Lions will head to Soldier Field to take on the Chicago Bears. And we're seeing Detroit two and a half, it looks like, although this is a juiced minus $1.20 on the favorite. So maybe there's still threes out there. Uh, total 42. I'm just happy that I gave this out on our spaces. Detroit plus three and a half. At minus a dollar twenty, I just I don't love laying one twenty on sides, but I felt that there was only one way this line could go after the anemic performance from Chicago offensively. And sure enough, again, it looks like this has gone through the three and is now at a two and a half point line for the Bears laying it at home. And I mean Listen, Chicago, after you subtract the sack yards from last week, and there were a lot of them, of course, it is the Cleveland front seven, which is pretty good. Chicago had one passing yard once you take those sack yards out. And we don't know what their quarterback situation is this week. Matt Nagy saying all sorts of weird stuff. Oh, well, we're looking at all three of them. Dalton's our number one. But then Fields practiced in full today, and Dalton practiced – Limited. So I don't really know what's going on with Chicago and their quarterback situation, which to me makes them an automatic no bet. Like I cannot bet the Bears right now. And the like, I'm not saying they're an auto fade every week. But. I know we don't like talking about this prop a ton, Alex, because it involves somebody losing a job. But. I could see Matt Nagy being the first coach fired like. I think oh, this, yeah, I'd love to see a number on that. Yeah, I think 30, this could go 30. south very quickly. And, and 
if in two, three weeks, the Lions happen to be ahead of the Bears and out of the cellar in this division, like, I don't know that Matt Nagy even gets to Thanksgiving or maybe not even November. So, point being, I think the Bears are in disarray, and they hung on. They did get a defensive touchdown in their lone win against Cincinnati at home. It was a disaster last week. I I know they're going back home now, but I, I just don't think it matters. I think this is the worst offense in the National Football League right now. And when you look at Detroit, people are going to say, oh, well, how are they going to score against the Chicago defense? Well, 2-1 and one against the spread. Good second half against San Francisco defense, which, I mean, you can go back and forth. Would you rather have San Francisco's or Chicago's defense? Probably Chicago. San Francisco's got some secondary injuries. But nonetheless, a good second half against San Francisco to cover that game. Scored in the 30s. A good first half against Green Bay. Should have covered that game. Just didn't show up in the second half. And, of course, a good second half against Baltimore. And they cover that game. And should have won it outright. So that's 2-1 and one against the spread for Detroit against San Francisco, Green Bay, and Baltimore. All three of those teams are better than Chicago. So now, of course, it's a shorter line. Uh, those other games were north of a touchdown that Detroit covered. But as I said, should have won the Baltimore game outright. And we're right there with Green Bay at halftime on Monday Night Football in Week 2. So if they can cover against three playoff teams in the first three games of the Dan Campbell era. I've said this before on our spaces that I think there's might, maybe there's something to all this weird stuff. Campbell's getting made fun of for biting kneecaps off and, you know, whatever other weird stuff he was saying, like espresso shots and all the, you know, caffeinated beverages that he drinks and all the energy that that guy's bringing. Maybe there's something to that with their locker room because, they play hard. At least it's looking like they play hard. And you always want the effort to be there with your underdogs, right? Because we know that they're not going to be the more talented team on paper, hence why they're an underdog. So I want to see them playing hard, battling till the end, and at least giving them a chance each week. And that's what the Lions are doing. They're giving themselves a chance week in and week out. And they just haven't played four full quarters yet. And that's why they're 0-3 straight up, but 2-1 against the spread. I think it gets to 3-1 against the spread. I think this is their first win of the season. But like I said, I'm sitting on a good number, so I'm just going to stay at the plus 3.5. Happy to have beaten this move. Lions probably win this game outright, though. Uh, I, I, I had Detroit already had a win. I would have said, oh, you know, you just lose on that Tucker walk-off field goal. How are they going to respond? I think they're saying all week, hey, we're that close. We're a 66-yard kick away from having our first win. Let's go get it this week against a bad Bears team. Lions win this game. Low-scoring game. Let's call it 20-17 to Detroit. I am completely with you here. I'm taking the Lions as well. I got three early in the week with you. Yeah, I couldn't find Matt Nagy to be fired first odds, but I did see the Bears' win total. For the season, it's down to 6.5 at Caesars Sportsbook, which is very low. I love Do you still have this? Favorite. By the way, I'd be curious what Detroit's is. I imagine it probably stayed at five. 
I'm not sure. I only I specifically okay. looked up Nagy and the Bears. Sure. But I do I do love this spot. I like how much the the Lions are fighting and who wants to win more than them? Dan Campbell, he's really inspired this team. I love the message. The the bike the kneecap shit was was hilarious and kinda silly, but I think it's definitely resonated with this team. You see them. They, yeah, they I mean, put together some good hats. might not be a good football coach for them long term. But I think some of that yeah. rah-rah stuff, when you first get there, can play well. Yeah, I think that rah-rah shit definitely resonates, you know, the first year. It, pros will probably tune that out eventually. That's some, like, college stuff. Way more for college kids getting motivated. But I think the rah-rah stuff definitely works here, especially within the first first half of the season. Yeah, I love Detroit here. I think at worst they keep it very close. But I'm with you. I, I think they win this game outright. I really just – I can't get behind a Matt Nagy-led team. I mean, the bullshit with saying that any three of the quarterbacks can start. Like, he can't even pick a fucking starter yet. And, Alex, you brought it up. They knew all week last week that Justin Fields was going to be the starting quarterback. And they really did not call a game plan and devise a game plan conducive for Justin Fields. No, it was insane. They just they threw out the same exact playbook that Andy Dalton would run, which is insane. You can't have Fields just standing in the pocket, holding the ball too long as a rookie against a Browns-led front seven that's really formidable. You got Garrett. Just coming off the edge. I mean, he crushed him. He was getting killed out there. You got to change the playbook up a little bit. Yeah, just fade Matt Nagy the rest of the season. I wish I could find. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think you can bet Chicago at all right now. No, absolutely not. Despite how good they did look on defense against Cincinnati, could see something similar, especially at home, fired up. But no, you got to take the points here in the divisional game. I really like the Lions. uh, Yep. Divisional dogs. And so far this year, dogs of three points or less are 11 and five against the spread. That's from the action network. And all 11 of those teams that covered, they also won outright. There you go. Again, we're both on the Motor City Kitties in this game. I may or may not. I just wanted to get a Motor City Kitty reference in before we move on. (laughs) I love that. Nonetheless, let's go to MetLife Stadium where we have the New York Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 number 256 in the rotation, hosting 255, the Tennessee Titans. Titans are a touchdown road favorite, total in this game of 44. And I don't have anything here uh, as far as the side. The Titans are going to be in every Moneyline parlay and teaser. Uh, and, you know, I, I think on one hand, I get it. Uh, because Tennessee looks to have recovered after a whitewashing week one at home against Arizona. The Titans go to Seattle, rally in the fourth quarter to win the game and avoid 0-2. And then they win a divisional game, albeit against what looks like a pretty lifeless Indiana t- or Indianapolis team right now. But nevertheless, back-to-back wins for Tennessee. I do think on one hand you could say, okay, they had that emotional week two win against Seattle. Then they win their divisional opener against Indianapolis. Maybe are they a little flat here? Like, you could sell me on that. Uh, but uh, – and, and the Jets have the better defense, right? So, in a game – like, sometimes we talk about, like, side total correlations. 
in a game with a total of just 44 and a line of seven with the dog catching the seven and the dog having the better defense, like you can see how the game is already suggesting that there's not going to be that many points with that total. So you could see how the Jets could find their way to an ugly 20 to 14 type cover here. Um, but I don't think I can plug my nose with the Jets. Uh, I did not bet them, but took them in a contest last week, and it was just ugly. I mean, right from the start, it was dead. Now, again, that was against the Denver defense, and they played the New England defense, and they played the Carolina defense. So that's like three definite top ten defenses right there that they had to face. Now they're facing the Tennessee defense, who's bottom ten in all likelihood. So, again... I guess I'm talking myself into a lean on the Jets, but it's just a lean. Um, I think the stronger play here, love me some revenge games, particularly the ones that people don't like bring up as much. Like it was funny, Alex. Like I talked about this a couple weeks ago when Minnesota went to Arizona and I played Hopkins under prop on the premise of a Patrick Peterson revenge game for Minnesota. Like Patrick Peterson played, a decade in Arizona. And we really nationally, like that wasn't a big story. Like him going back to Arizona. I was a little surprised by that. Um, of course this week we're getting all the Brady, Brady, Brady revenge game. And we'll get to that. But how about a little Corey Davis revenge game? I'm going to look to his receptions prop over. If you're the jets, he's your best receiver anyway. So I think you're going to want to try and feed him the ball. And Corey Davis admitted it today in his media availability. Uh, he was asked about his past with Tennessee, uh, and he said, uh, no, they, they did not show any interest in resigning him. And the New York media said, did that bother you? And he goes, a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. But I think he's pretty fired up for this game. Uh, I would not be surprised if they just try and force feed him the ball early, get the ball in his hands. That's why I like the receptions better than the yards. You could see some little dinking and dunking. Also think that would be beneficial for Zach Wilson to get some easy completions uh, given his struggles. So I'm going to look to Corey Davis for a prop play and play his receptions over. I love a good revenge angle. I think that's a, I think that's a smart play. I mean, if you, just see this line. Obviously, you think the Titans are going to win, so the Jets are going to be losing. They're going to have to throw the ball. It's just, can they give, can they give Wilson enough time to actually make some throws? And that's a, and that's a good point though, because if we do have a scenario in which in the second half the Titans are pulling away, then maybe if you're like the Jets, just say, all right, we're not going to win the game. Let's just get Davis a touchdown against his old team or something. Yeah, I love that. I'll. I'll Definitely look at uh, Corey Davis anytime touchdown because, like we said, they're going to be probably losing this game. I don't know. I don't really have anything strong here. This just feels like a game that the Jets are going to somehow win because it makes absolutely no sense. Titans are going to be in every single money line teaser, like you said. They're minus 310 right now on DraftKings. It's not that much delay, especially parlay it with the Chiefs at minus 335. Yeah, I just – I don't have much here. I hope I don't see this game much on TV. You can get a Titans Chiefs money line parlay minus 140 right now. 
So, you know, every single person's going to be playing that. <laughs> yeah. Even the ones that don't listen to us, but that's their loss. Let's move on and <laughs> go to the NFC North. Uh, go back to the NFC North. Already talked to Troy Chicago. How about the Cleveland Browns? Heading to Minneapolis to take on the Minnesota Vikings, and we're having we're having Cleveland as a short road favorite in this game of two points, total of fifty one. And this is my best bet. I'll just say it. Uh, max play for me is going to be on the the home chalk. Excuse me, the home dog, the Minnesota Vikings plus two. I we, you're I would be shocked if you got three anywhere. Like I I, I think that this number's probably going to stay around two. And I could even see some money coming on Minnesota. I think most people should be smart enough to know by now that running backs don't really matter to point spreads, as evidenced by what Minnesota did last week with a strong performance from Alexander Madison at 112 rushing yards on 26 carries. I could still see some money coming on Minnesota once Dalvin Cook's status becomes more clear. Uh, having said that, Anthony Barr, it looks like, is going to play. Uh, Christian Darasaw, their first-round pick, right ta- or left tackle, should be on the field this week for the Vikings as well. Uh, so certainly against a good Cleveland front seven, we like that. But uh, Mike Zimmer, coach for Minnesota, said that last week it was the best offensive performance that he had seen in his eight years as the coach of the Minnesota Vikings. They scored 31 points against the Seattle Seahawks. And, uh, you know, I, I think when you look at this matchup against Cleveland, Cleveland like Seattle is built to win shootouts and Minnesota won by two scores. Cleveland isn't built to win shootouts and Jarvis Landry is on IR. So we kind of know the recipe for Cleveland. It's, you know, pass rush front seven and a heavy dose of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That's what they were able to do against against Chicago last week. That's not going to happen here because the skill players for Minnesota, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, and even Ty Conklin, the tight end, had a nice little day, got in the end zone last week against Seattle. They're going to test Cleveland's defense. And the problem area for Cleveland on defense has been in the secondary. Patrick Mahomes threw for 320-plus yards in week one. And, of course, in weeks two and three, Cleveland saw Houston and they saw Chicago. And neither one of those teams could move the ball downfield. So now you're getting another uh, Kirk Cousins who's playing really well. Threw for 250 yards against Arizona. Had a real nice game against Seattle. As I said, Zimmer called it the best offensive performance that he had seen in his eight years there. So Minnesota on offense has some things working for itself. And as I said, they're getting their first round pick. Left tackle into the fold, it looks like, for this game. And Dalvin Cook should be coming back. Then you look at what Minnesota did on the defensive side of the ball. That was really where their question marks were because you had Michael Pierce returning on the defensive line from an opt-out. You had Daniil Hunter basically missed the whole season last year. You had Everson Griffin, a veteran, coming back to Minnesota, a veteran in Patrick Peterson. What did he have left in the tank? Veteran Bashad Breland, who got cut by the Chiefs at playing at the other corner spot. Anthony Harris left in free agency. Eric Wilson left in free agency. There were a lot of questions about this Minnesota defense. And that Minnesota defense gave up 17 points in the first half against Seattle last week. Zero points in the second half. And that is Mike Zimmer making great halftime adjustments. He is one of the best defensive minds in the NFL, I believe. 
and I don't think always gets the appropriate respect in league circles in that discussion. So considering Cleveland isn't built to win shootouts, considering that their secondary is going to get tested like it did in week one when Mahomes had a big game, and considering that Minnesota's defense might have found a little something there in the second half against Seattle, all of that adds up for me to bet the Vikings here. Last point, Mike Zimmer, if you just blindly bet him in his eight-plus seasons as Vikings head coach, 35 in, in home games, excuse me, Zimmer at home in his time as the head coach of the Vikings, going on a decade, 35-21-1 against the spread in home games with the Vikings. And that includes a 2-6 and six ATS market home last year with no fans. I've been to this stadium twice. This is a sneaky home field. It's not Seattle. It's not Arrowhead. But it's pretty loud down there. And the Vikings, I'm not surprised that uh, they've played well uh, in U.S. Bank Stadium and covered a lot of numbers. So I say down there, more like up there in Minnesota. But get the point. Vikings, plus two. Best bet for me. (laughs) You didn't leave me, leave me uh, much to say here. I completely agree. I love it. I love it. I see on the Action Network app, they have pro projections. That's This is what their uh, their staff has this game, what they think the line should be. And they have the Vikings actually as slight favorites at minus 0.6. So I really love the value here. I'm with you. I'm taking the Vikings. I think this is definitely worth throwing in some, some money line parlays here. Like you were saying, Mike Zimmer, just a great coach at home. He really gets that team up, especially the defense at home. Like you mentioned, they really shut down Seattle in the second half there. I'm seeing Zimmer is 10-3 and three against the spread as a home dog. So, yeah, I really love, love the Vikings here as well. So some agreement on the home dog uh, with the Vikings – I won't do the skull chant though. I don't really. I don't like it. I just. <laughs> I love it, man. Those those Midwesterners, you know, they're <laughs> de- definitely drinking some. I don't know what they drink there. Bush light. Oh, like La- Bush. Tastes like water. town. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah, you can drink like fifteen of them throughout <laughs> the game, and they're probably cheaper than than whatever else you're buying. So it's a good good football beer. Glorified water. So whatever floats. <laughs> Let's go down to South Florida, where we have the Miami Dolphins hosting the Indianapolis Colts. How about the Jacoby Brissett revenge game as the... (laughs) I don't know how much I can buy into this revenge angle, but I like the mention. No, that was a whole lot of nothing. I have to side. You know, Brissett did lead him back against the Raiders last week. Uh, I think that might have said more about the Raiders. Uh, I mean, I mean, maybe, you know, cause I like the revenge games and you have Quentin Nelson likely not playing in this game on the O-line for Indy. Darius Leonard did not practice on Wednesday for Indianapolis. So you're probably your best offensive player in Quentin Nelson and probably your best defender, you know, in Leonard's case, I don't know if he's not going to play yet, but you have some question marks with him as your best defensive player. And then you have Carson Wentz still banged up. As an Eagles fan, I'm crossing my fingers. I need there's a Twitter account, Wentz uh, snap count, because there's a condition on the first round pick that the Eagles got. He needs to play 75% of the offensive snaps for Indianapolis. 
So uh, there's a Twitter account that tr- tracks his snap percentage every week, which I like. But having said that, is there uh, not a Twitter account for everything now? Just about everything. I love that. That is awesome. That is so yeah. funny to watch. I, I'm sure you're following that closely. Then. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know what? Honestly, because of that. I think the Eagles fan in me is going to root for Indianapolis here because if Indy keeps losing, then I would think they probably just sit Wentz and try and retain their first round pick. Oh yeah, for sure. That's the only so, play there, right? And you know, their coach is smart enough to think about that. Exactly. So, I, I mean, it looks like a pretty dead and lifeless Indy team right now. I mean, Week one at home against Seattle, that was like a boring game that didn't even make red zone that much. And same, honestly, for week three at Tennessee, like they competed and hung in there against the Rams at home. And what I felt was a like I had the Colts because that was kind of a flat spot for the Rams with the look ahead to the Bucks. But what's getting you excited about this indie side right now? Like I have nothing on this game. No, the only the only note I jotted down was pass on this game, you fucking idiot. This game sucks. This is this might be worse than Titans Jets. At least that has a little juice to see if the Titans can can cover the spread as well. And yeah, exactly. Like, this is a short game. line. Like, what are we even watching yeah, for? There's there's nothing here. Maybe you could squeak out a player proper too or some fantasy purposes but no i have absolutely nothing here let's go to big d where the dallas cowboys welcome in the carolina panthers and maybe can we can we say alex the best game in the early window it's right there with carolina cleveland and minnesota but i i think i'll take this as the best game in the early window yeah i think this is a great game i'm really excited to see Carolina defense go up against an actual exactly. pretty solid offense. Are they Carolina, I mean, going to Dallas with Carolina's defense looking early on to be the best in the NFL for what it's worth at this juncture? But bear in mind, it was the Jets, it was the Saints and their anemic offense, and it was. Davis Mills and the Houston Texans on a short week. We talked about rookie head coaches on short weeks on that Thursday night trend that I liked. So having said all of that, uh, I think that this is a stay away for me because Carolina's defense is like, how good is it? Right. And they just lost JC Horn. They trade for CJ Henderson you know, how up to speed is Henderson going to be and, 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 you know, throwing him right to the dogs for sure, having to deal with Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb. So I can't get there with Dallas because I do think there's an interesting rest angle. This more would play it later in the year. And if this were later in the year, it might be enough for me to play Carolina. You have Carolina coming off of the Thursday night game last week. And you have Dallas coming off of the Monday night game this past week. So you're not going to get a greater rest advantage other than coming a team coming off a bye. So this is pretty close to that with the short week for Dallas and the extended prep time for Carolina. Still not enough for me to bet the Panthers. 
but pretty excited to watch the Dallas offense against the Carolina defense. You know, Christian McCaffrey for Carolina on offense. You know, I, I just finished talking about running back injuries and how they maybe don't matter as much to the line. CMC might be one that does. Uh, and lastly, Dallas's offense looks pretty balanced the last two weeks. I think that's important. We talked about how they didn't want to throw Dak 60 times like they did week one against Tampa. Well, they're finding a really nice one-two punch with both of those backs in Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. So I think that balance maybe makes it a little challenging for Carolina to figure out this offense. It's a big step up in class for the Carolina defense. Not sure they're ready to meet it yet, but as I said, that rest advantage for Carolina kind of cancels out the X's and O's lean I would have on Dallas with, I would I lean to the Dallas offense over the Carolina defense in this game. Situationally, it checks out for Carolina. I'll pass the game. You like the Carolina side, though. Yeah, I think you just have to lay it. I'm I'm going to side with their defense being legit, although they haven't played the toughest competition obviously but they rank first in rushing yards allowed per game first in passing yards allowed per game and they're first in sacks per game and then they're second in points allowed per game they've only given up 10.0 points per game on average i tend to lean with a good defense i really don't trust mike mccarthy as a head coach i think kellen moore actually has been doing a really good job recently i really like what i saw last week Not so much in week one. They actually ran the ball with Zeke a lot last week, which proved to be very solid. Surprisingly, you know, one of the better backs in football. When you actually run him, it works out well. So that was kind of surprising. But, yeah, I got to go. I'm taking the points here. I, I like Carolina's defense a lot, and I think they have enough playmakers on offense to keep this close. I think Hubbard's a really solid backup running back. I think he'll do fairly well and this Dallas defense isn't isn't very good they've looked better really like Micah Parsons although he's now put in a spot where he has to play defensive end but he's been doing well I do like Diggs a lot in the secondary but I think I'm just siding with the better defense getting the points and I do like Matt Rule a lot to coach his team up and have a pretty good offensive performance against a not so great defense so I'll take the points yeah, I mean, I, I think I definitely we'll be rooting for Carolina. Anytime the Cowboys lose, this Eagles fan is happy, but we won't talk about Monday night. We'll move on and go to another <laughs> NFC East, NFC South matchup as it's the New York Giants heading down to the Big Easy to take on the New Orleans Saints. And uh, we're seeing New Orleans laying a big number here at home as it's New Orleans laying seven and the hook. Total of 41 and a half, and I think this kind of speaks to my, you know, big spread, low total thing that I was getting at, ironically, with the other New York team, the Jets, against the Titans. Uh, And you could certainly argue that the Giants are better equipped to play lower-scoring games, albeit losing a lower-scoring game against Atlanta in Week 3. But... We talked about this before we just jumped on. Blake Martinez, the anchor in the middle of the field for that Giants defense, now out for the year with a torn ACL. So that's obviously a bit of a concern for Big Blue. And, you know, do we, you know, I I use this term a lot 
with our college football, their college basketball pod with Bill, Bill Christie. It's kind of a circle the wagon spot for the New York Giants, right? Where, I mean, this is backs against the wall, like 0-3. We talked about Nagy maybe being first coach fired. Like Joe Judge, like that seat's probably getting pretty warm. Um, but do we trust the Giants to respond? Like, do we trust Kenny Galladay to all of a sudden start making plays? Like, I don't know that I see it. Uh, so I leaned with New Orleans at this uh, on the point spread. But I think my better play is to use New Orleans in a teaser leg. I do like the situational spot for the Saints. Returning to the Superdome after all the chaos in September with Hurricane Ida and God knows how many hotels they were living out of, playing a home game in Jacksonville. Let's give Sean Payton some credit. To go 2-1 and one in that stretch, pretty impressive. And I didn't bet that side last week in Foxborough, uh, but I certainly would have bet New England. And so, um, you know, with that being kind of the tail end of all the chaos for New Orleans to start the year with travel and logistics and things like that. So we got to remember these people are humans. And I'm sure that it's been a tough month for the Saints. Now they get to come back home. Like, you know, I'm not saying this is their Super Bowl, but I definitely think you're going to get a crazy excited Superdome on Sunday afternoon just to finally see their Saints back on the field. Uh, Offense is not very explosive, so I can't feel good about laying this kind of number. But I will use New Orleans in a teaser leg. Uh, and I used New Orleans in a six-point teaser when this was still six and a, or excuse me, seven and a half. Teased them down to minus one and a half. Pretty confident the Saints get this win. Yeah, I can't. I can't get there on either side. I really don't. I don't want to live in a world where Jameis Winston is laying seven points. But Daniel Jones is oddly really yep. good on the road. He's. 10 and 4 against the spread on the road, but in those games, 4 and 10 straight up. So I think the Saints is a great teaser leg. And also, I just I can't get behind a coach that doesn't believe in, in analytics in fucking 2021. Joe Judge said yeah, if Excel was going to win football games, Bill Gates would be killing it right now. I think Bill Gates is pretty comfortable as a as a multi billionaire. Yeah, I think I don't he's think doing he pretty well. Now I think he's he has enough stress in his life and very comfortable with just making money and Joe Judge is very comfortable with losing football games and being a fucking idiot. So there's no way I could back the Giants here, but also I, I can't run to lay this many points with Jameis Winston, no way. Yeah. Yeah, especially because of how quickly he could give the other team points, you know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, despite no Blake Martinez, which is huge, like you mentioned, but Jameis Winston can throw an interception to anyone. Yeah, exactly. Bradbury, one of the better corners recently. Yeah, so maybe uh, look to Jameis Winston to throw an interception if we can get that. I'll tell you what, Alex. I I talked about how with the Thursday night game, sometimes you like to uh, go price hunting on, uh, you know, particularly if it's a big line and you want to take the team that's the dog where you get all their players at a better price and if the line was shorter if this was a primetime game i'd be betting new york giants defense first touchdown <laughs> i love it i love <laughs> it i i don't know how else the the giants can score 
Slayton and Shepard both injured. They're going to have to rely heavily on Barkley, who's coming off that major knee injury. And the Saints, they've only allowed 60.3 rushing yards per game. That's third best in the NFL. They they held New England last week to 2.9 yards per carry. I don't see the Giants moving the ball that well on the ground, which is going to put a ton of pressure on Jones. Yeah, I just I don't see any world where the Giants win this, but seven points is a lot. Let's go to South Philadelphia, where the Eagles host the Kansas City Chiefs. I would say Andy Reid revenge game, but this is his third time against the Eagles now. He is 2-0 straight up in those previous two meetings against his old team. Kansas City, wow, they're taking a lot of money. Looks like they're up over the seven now, seven and a half. This opened below the seven, I believe it's six, six and a half. So it looks like an avalanche of Chiefs money, a total of 54 and a half. Um, And I mentioned Andy Reid. This is actually something I saw while we were recording. I just kind of came across it with my Philly roots. I follow enough Philadelphia-based media accounts. Andy Reid can become the first head coach in NFL history to win 100 or more games, including the postseason with two different franchises, and he can do it on Sunday against the other team he coached, the Philadelphia Eagles. So, you know, that's one thing about sports. Sometimes these things just line up. They don't really make sense, but it's just kind of cool. And I'm sure nobody with the Chiefs is, you know, they may not even be aware of that. But, uh, you know, I definitely think that they, everybody knows he coached the Eagles, and he'd, I'm sure love to go to 3-0 and straight up against them. And, and that's the thing. You talked about how Tennessee, maybe something quirky could happen in that game. Jets with the better defense. Maybe they can keep it low scoring, muck it up, and win an ugly game that we're all saying, how the fuck did that happen? Like, I don't really see that happening here with Kansas City and Philadelphia. So if you want to use Kansas City in a survivor pool, even though I don't like using road teams in survivor pools, if you want to use Kansas City in Moneyline Parlays, your teasers, like, I, that's a leg I'm good with. Because you have Philadelphia coming off of a short week, having played on Monday night, and a major coaching mismatch here with Andy Reid against rookie coach Nick Sirianni. Andy Reid seems to be okay after that health scare, but you gotta you you gotta tease Kansas City down or toss them in a money line parlay because Kansas City is one in ten in its last eleven regular season games against the spread. So, Alex, it was one thing we were texting about a little bit. Could a blueprint be coming into focus at least about how to compete with Kansas City? Because we saw them go out and sign Josh Gordon. I don't think that's a coincidence. That's not just a, oh, hey, we'll take a shot on you and see what you got. And if not, no big deal. I don't want to say they need Josh Gordon to work out. Like, they obviously could be fine without him. But I think this offense is devoid of some secondary weapons. And I think that's my point about the blueprint. If you can take away one of Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, you're going to be able to give yourself a chance to at least keep it close and for our interests, cover spreads. And so, you know, I I don't know if Philly can do that. I mean, the Eagles just got destroyed by the Dallas offense. Um, So I guess I lean Kansas City laying the points, but the number, you missed the best of the number at this point. So, you know, I would look to... Tease it now. 
because I think this line could keep going for that teaser protection that we always talk about. So Kansas City, I won't have a cent on the game. I'll be watching because I like the Eagles, but, uh, you know, rooting for the Eagles for sure. But no, nothing that I'm going to bet here. The Chiefs can't cover, but can Philly score? I think if they're going to score against anyone, it's against this Chiefs defense, which is You're going over the total here? I was strongly considering it, but it feels a bit high, doesn't it? Like, can Philly keep keep up their end? I really don't know. Let's see if there's a higher total on the board this week. There's an identical 54.5 sitting out there in Arizona and the Rams. Uh, and I think that is the only other 54 and a half out there. Uh, yep. There are no totals higher than 54 and a half. So tied for the highest. Yeah, I see Monday night Raiders chargers is 52. That might be the other highest along with that. Rams cards game. I just I don't know can Philly score enough, but the Chiefs are one of the worst defenses in the NFL right now. They're tied with the Lions for 31.7 points per game, which is the worst in the NFL. But I really just don't know if Philly can score enough. They have several playmakers on offense, but can they protect Hurts enough to allow him to yeah and actually make a, a couple point. plays? Brandon Brooks is on IR. One of the guards, another guard, Isaac Samalo, is now out for the year. Jordan Mailata, left tackle, didn't play against Dallas. See if he can get back. But banged up offensive line, not good for a young quarterback, Jalen Hurts. No, we saw it last week. It was a fucking nightmare. They they had no chance. They really could not make that many plays, especially downfield. I think I would probably lean the under here, actually. I mean, even if you get a 30 <laughs> After to... two minutes ago, I was thinking about Ben the over. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking you get a 30 to 20 Chiefs win, and you're still under the still total. Under and that feels, like, and that feels like a lot of points for the Eagles to score. I, I can see easily 30 to 14, 17, and you're, you're comfortably there. This just feels way too high. I don't think this gets over that. I don't trust Philly to score enough at all. Let's head up to Western New York, and if it's not the Jets and the Titans, if it's not the Colts and the Dolphins, well, then the smallest TV at the bar game in the early window has got to be the Houston Texans heading to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Numbers actually ticked down a little bit. Uh, I think it opened 17.5, down to 16. Houston, obviously, catching all those points on the road, total 47. I think I would have a slight lean on Houston, Alex, because you have the young coach uh, in David Colio. Actually, he doesn't look that young, but first-year coach. Uh, <laughs> Rookie coach. Yes. I, I don't think he's very young at all. <laughs> David we, don't shame, we don't shame on this pod that he does exactly. not look you under we 55 care about years old. Tickets. I'm 1-0 betting Texas. <laughs> Absolutely. Bet him on the plus three week one against Jacksonville. Actually, I guess we get, got our first half under pretty easily there on Thursday night. So Texas have been good to us. But, you know, and I, I do lean with them here because they, Coley having the extra time, I think for a younger, you know, inexperienced coach, like for that kind of guy, I think the extra time would really matter. In addition to 
you know, the rest stuff, which we're not necessarily factoring in as much this early in the season, but a first year coach with some more time. I think that makes sense. And sure enough, the lone win thus far for Houston, one and two straight up are the Texans, uh, two and one against the spread, covered a big number against Cleveland in week two. Uh, but the lone win straight up for Houston was in week one, when obviously Coley had all offseason to devise a game plan for Jacksonville. So I could see the extra time really helping Houston here. And then you have an easy look ahead for Buffalo. Week five is an AFC championship rematch against Kansas city. So don't really understand the reason for margin. If Buffalo had survived against Washington and had not played well, then yeah, there'd be reason for margin here, but they got their blowout win against Washington last week. Not sure they're getting another one this week. They could, as I said, just a lean for me on Houston catching all those points. I think that's the only side to look here, but I hope this game doesn't come up much on red zone. I certainly won't be putting this on any screen in my house. I would be shocked if this was even on at the bar. I will say I did draft Brandon Cooks in both my fantasy leagues, and he's been good. Um, Then that's that's a reason to root. I don't think that's quite enough to watch, but you can certainly check in on the score and hope he gets a couple garbage time touchdowns. I just Davis Mills. I don't know if. You're going to see too much action in that one. I think you got to take the points here that many. I'd like it a lot more at 17 when it opened than I do at 16, but that would be my lean as well. I just, I'm not running to lay this many points. Why do the Bills want to beat the Texans that badly? There's not really many angles here to think. Like I said, the only one would be if out. Buffalo had survived against right, last week if they, Yeah, if they didn't look that comfortable last week, but. That wasn't even close to being the case. They were very comfortable the entire game. So, yeah, I don't see them wanting to come out here and even show that much against the Texans team that they know they're going to easily beat. But I don't think it'll ever be a worry that they don't win. So why run to blow them out? I, I don't see it. So let's keep things moving and go to the late window where we have a quartet of games. And a couple of them are divisional battles in the NFC West. Let's get started in Southern California at SoFi Stadium. The Arizona Cardinals catching four and a half on the road. This tying the Philadelphia-Kansas City game for the highest total of the board at 54 and a half. Alex, weird line movement here. Uh, Certainly could be some sharp money coming in on the Arizona side as the number has been bet down from the opening number of six. I mean, I... Unless you're thinking maybe a, I, I, I hesitate to say Rams letdown because it's the first divisional game of the year for the Rams, but they did just have that big victory against Tampa Bay. So, you know, maybe, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to understand where this sharp money's coming from in Arizona, like, assuming that's what it is, like, I, Arizona didn't impress me last week against Jacksonville. I was pissed that Arizona did not even deserve to cover that game. Having said that, one thing I mentioned uh, earlier in the season on this podcast, I do kind of like betting on teams that don't play their best in clear look-ahead spots but still find ways to win those games, which is kind of what Arizona did last week. Because now I'm expecting you know, the effort to be ramped up and the intensity and kind of everything after you can kind of say, okay, well, we got through that game that you know against that, an opponent that 
we easily could have overlooked. We kind of got our ugly win. Now it's time to really turn it up and play better. So you could, I could get that from Arizona. I do think it's a coaching mismatch, though, with McVeigh against Kingsbury uh, and uh, Claudia Belfato, who we had on our show before, had this on Twitter. The, the Arizona car, or rather the Los Angeles Rams, have only trailed for two minutes and four seconds for the entire season. So if you like the Rams, don't hesitate to lay it. I wouldn't waste your time with using the Rams and money line parlays or things like that. If you like the Rams, just bet on minus the four and the half. But I worry a little bit about that line coming down. Like I'll, I'll pass this game. Yeah, I'm going to be taking the Rams. I just, I really like their, their game is overall just really well balanced team. I think their defense will step up here and, Give Murray some fits with that front seven. Really like the line getting after him. And anytime you can fade Kingsbury at this kind of number, I, I'm seeing fours in places. And this came down from, I think it opened around six. But I, I love it now. I, I'm not afraid of the line moving against me here. Just lay it with the better coach, better quarterback, better defense. Cards defense just has too many holes. They're going to give up some big plays. Don't love their secondary, and I really like what I'm seeing from Stafford. Everyone knew he was a really solid quarterback. Now that he has actual weapons, we see him just looking really good. Yeah, I, I love the Rams in this spot at home. It just just sticks out to me. Like everything is pointing to the Rams and. I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to play that. Let's go to the AFC West or stay in the NFC West for that matter, where we have the Seattle Seahawks in an interesting spot. A feel like you don't see this often. Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, a divisional underdog, but that's where we see here as Seattle rotation. Number two, seven, one goes to San Francisco rotation. Number two, seven, two. And we're seeing Seattle with a, Two-and-a-half-point road underdog roll, total of 52 in this game. And, you know, back-to-back losses for Seattle. Like, San Francisco, like, Kyle Shannon came out and said today, like, Trey Lance is the backup. So, like, they're clearly going with Garoppolo, who, for what it's worth, did get him down the field and position them for the go-ahead touchdown, only to have... Green Bay come back and kick the walk-off field goal. Uh, So, I don't know. Like, San Francisco looked, showed some life there in the second half. You know, if that carries over, they maybe win this game by a touchdown. But Seattle maybe getting a little desperate. Like, back-to-back losses, one and two. You know, and let a game get away against Tennessee. Didn't look great against Minnesota last week. Divisional opener for, I think, both these teams. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'll be interested with this one, Alex. Like, I, I'm not really sure who needs this game more. Probably Seattle, but San Francisco coming off of a loss back at home. Like, this sounds square, but like, are they, are they going to lose two straight road home games? Rather, the 49ers, like. I think I got to stay away here. Nothing really jumped at me with this one. Yeah, I think this is kind of a toss-up, but I looked into it a little more. 
I really like Seattle here. I can't bet against Russell Wilson in this elite passing attack against a banged up Niners secondary. And then you see Kyle Shanahan, he's eight, 19 and one against the spread as a favorite. And then Russell Wilson as a road dog, he's 20, 11 and two against the spread. And then he's 26, 14 and four, which is 65% when coming off a loss. I know it's pretty square. There's not much analysis here, but give me points with Russell Wilson as a road dog coming off a loss. It's really as simple as that. I really like the Seattle offense to really carve up this Niners secondary. I'm definitely worried about their defense, but I don't love San Francisco's offense, especially with their, their rushing attack. Um, several key members, and they're kind of relying on backups and then Sermon, uh, rookie, uh, yeah, I really like Seattle here as a as a comfortable win. I'll take them on the money line too. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I'd probably lean that side, but I, this is an interesting kind of a tricky tricky game for me to handicap. I didn't really have much else on it. Uh, here's another game that's maybe tricky for some, and it's uh, Baltimore and Denver with the Ravens going to the Mile High City in a game that looks to be pick 'em minus dollar ten. Standard juice both ways. Total of 45. I got this before Baltimore money came in at one and a half, but I teased the Baltimore side up over the seven to get them at seven and a half. So that's my teaser for NFL week four. It's New Orleans minus one and a half and Baltimore plus seven and a half. Here's what I'll say. Short line at this case. Now pick them obviously suggesting a very close game. Ravens, have been in three of them and won two. Lost in overtime against the Raiders. One in the closing minutes against Kansas City. One at the buzzer against Detroit on the long field goal from Tucker. Broncos, on the other hand, have won all three games by double digits against both New York teams and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I don't think that's really opening anybody's mouth and saying, oh, wow, like you beat those teams and you beat them all by double digits. Hey, Teddy covers, right? Like, this is what Bridgewater does. Covers everything. Even now as favorites. <laughs> but uh, if anybody's blowing the opponent out here, I think it's Baltimore kind of making more of a statement. I, Denver just doesn't strike me as a team that, like, even when they cover these games as big favorites, like, they didn't blow out Jacksonville. Like, they won by 10. You know, they didn't blow out by three, four scores the Giants on the road. You know, they just kind of did what they needed to do. Got a late Melvin Gordon rushing touchdown. Game over. The only reason they kind of blew out the Jets was because the Jets offense was the Jets offense. So I don't I don't really see Denver getting enough margin. That's why I teased the Baltimore side. Uh, and maybe that's partially why this move came in, where you're seeing a lot of pickums now. Because Baltimore... Uh, you know, or maybe that it was kind of a teaser protection type move to prevent people from getting up over that, that seven. But I was able to get it with Baltimore plus seven and a half, New Orleans minus one and a half. My week four teaser. I don't do them often, but this is one I like. I'll grab the Ravens uh, one and a half early in the week and awesome. I'm playing the money line. Uh, just Broncos are pretty banged up on offense. No Hamler, no Judy. So that leaves Sutton and 
Tim Patrick as the top wideout weapons. Granted, they have Fant and a pretty strong rushing attack with Gordon and the rookie Williams at UNC. But uh, I saw today that starting guards, Graham Glasnow and Dalton Risner, they're both questionable. Neither practice today. They both left the game last week against the Jets. And then this is just such a coaching mismatch. Vic Fangio, I would not trust at all. But then you have Teddy, who does cover everything. We love him. Big fan of him on the pod. But since 2008, Baltimore, they're 38-25-3 against the spread as a road dog, which is a 60% clip. Really like that. The Broncos have been dominant, but like you said, they really haven't played anyone. They're 3-0 and against teams that are 0-6 straight up. And then the Giants, they're 22nd in football outsiders, DVOA. The Jags are 31st, and the Jets are 28th. Those are three of the worst teams in the NFL. A lot of injuries on the Baltimore side as well, which is a bit worrisome. Saw Ronnie Staley and Villanueva. They, they both didn't practice today. Yeah, and I saw Lamar was actually on the injury report as well with a back injury, which I have no idea what that is. I saw last week it was a it was a non-COVID related illness or whatever, but he still played. He didn't look great, but yeah, I think this is just Ravens or pass. I'm playing the Ravens. I, I like the coaching mismatch here. I like the offensive weapons for Baltimore better, especially with the, the injuries. If there was Hamler and Judy, I would definitely be on the Broncos side. But I also think this line would be a lot higher than what it is if those two were playing. Oh, without a doubt, you'd see at least three for Denver. Life. Yeah, I was thinking three as well. Let's go to the final game in the late window, and it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Traveling to Lambeau Field, catching seven. Who would have thought that the Steelers would be a touchdown underdog against anyone this year? But that's where we have it with the Steelers catching seven against the Green Bay Packers. Total 46. I Like, Alex, as much as I want to say, you know, this is just your typical, like, try and buy low, sell high spot where you – you're buying no lower than now on the Steelers, right? And you're selling pretty high on Green Bay. That's back-to-back primetime wins for the Packers. Monday night football, Sunday night football, Sunday night football, very dramatic in the closing seconds with the walk-off field goal from Crosby. So, like, I want to get there and say buy low Pittsburgh, sell high Green Bay. Can't do it. Steelers are banged up. Deontay Johnson limited at practice today. T.J. Watt limited at practice today. Big Ben did not practice. Doesn't seem like he's in any danger of not playing, but certainly not 100%. Juju Smith-Schuster did not practice. So now you're talking about Deontay and Juju banged up. Not at 100% if they're out there for Ben. Ben looks awful anyway. It's an awful offensive line. Like, what the hell makes you want the Steelers right now? I, I... like I said, I really wanted to talk myself into buy low Pittsburgh, sell high Green Bay. Can't do it. I got to stay away from this side. And and the total, I mean, maybe lean to the under, thinking that Pittsburgh's defense might be able to keep them in the game, but nothing for me in this one. Yeah, this just feels like a classic 
pros versus Joes type of game, you know people are going to be running to bet the Packers, and you know pros are going to be eating up those plus It's interesting you say that. Do you think the Packers are on the same level as the Titans, Chiefs, and Bucks as far as teasers and money line parlays this week? Kind of, but maybe not just because of the name of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right, like exactly. People are a little bit worrisome. You know, Mike Tomlin's such a rah-rah guy. They'll be up for this game, but Big Ben is just fucking shot. There's no way he should be playing right now. Give me Haskins at 100% versus Ben at 35%. He didn't practice today, like you said, but there's no there's no reason he's not going to play. We all know he's going to play. He always plays injured, and he fucking sucks. He looks terrible. Last week was absolutely embarrassing. That looks like a guy that should really hang the cleats up. It's as long as he got into a level of embarrassing, which is sad to see such a you know, staple professional for most of our childhood, winning Super Bowls, looking great, and now it's just abysmal. Watt, limited. Highsmith, their linebacker, limited today. If Watt plays, and this is still at seven, or if I can get seven in the hook, I'll probably play it, and that's mainly because I'm a Steelers fan. I'm a fucking idiot, and I think <laughs> they can keep this game close if their defense can step up. But yeah, I would not be rushing to bet this at all. Time to go to the primetime games. If you're fast-forwarding to this portion of the pod, well, we hope you go back. But nonetheless, I guess it's better late than never, as we have Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to Foxborough. Laying seven on the road, total of 49. I have to think this could. I'm going to, you know, maybe hold out because I'm going to play the New England side. Maybe hold out for seven and a half, 20 minutes before kickoff or something. I'll get into my handicap in a minute, Alex, but like most bet regular season game easily this year and maybe ever. I mean, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be massive. The storylines are just are just really hyping this game up like it should be competitive. You got so many revenge angles. Belichick versus Brady, Brady versus Belichick, Gronk coming back home for the first time. It's just so many storylines. You got ESPN putting out these emotional teasers. People are just <laughs> so excited to watch this. I am honestly I'm fucking torn. This is really tough. I just I can't figure out is Brady gonna be super motivated or is he gonna be a little nervous? I don't right. know. You would have to think he's comfortable in this situation. Obviously, in New England where he's played his, nearly his but entire career. Like first time back, and I mean, bear in mind with these two teams in opposite conferences, even if Brady were to play another four years, when they play again, it won't be until. 2025 and that's in Tampa like this is the only time he's ever going to well, play don't, there. you don't think the Patriots are making the Super Bowl with him the next five years with <laughs> Mac Jones even if they do that's at a neutral <laughs> field like yeah good point he won't be back in New England anytime this soon this is the good only point. time in his career that this is going to happen yeah I just I really can't get to either side here obviously I'm going to be playing something I like what you mentioned earlier I think we were talking off the pod though but if you see all these money line parlays coming in with the Titans and the and the Packers and the Chiefs all winning outright, you got to think last leg is the Bucks, and we all know the last leg always kills the parlay. 
Yeah, and, and honestly, like, it sounds dumb, right? But, like, we've done this enough to know that that stuff happens. Like, if you can just say touchdown favorite, touchdown favorite, touchdown favorite, money line parlay, money line parlay, money line parlay, and just, like, do that every week, like. Yeah, we'd all be rich, right? We'd all there be rich. be a Vegas. <laughs> like, sports books wouldn't exist. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I will consider New England on the money line solely out of that reason. And I know that it's not, like, actionable advice, but, like, I, I do think that we've seen these things go up in flames for people a lot more than they have cash. So, as far as the actual game handicap, yeah. though, we're hearing all of this stuff this week, right? You can't turn on ESPN for more than 10 minutes and not hear about Brady going back, right? And there is just so much more. Like, you have to agree with this, right? so much more of a spotlight being put on Brady here than Belichick, right? Oh, absolutely. And that probably has to do with Belichick not ever speaking with the media and Brady's going on podcasts Very talking true. about these things. And, hey, yeah, and you don't hear Belichick. He had his business partner go to the Boston Herald last week and say that story about Belichick not evolving as Brady's time in New England unfolded, like, Belichick, on the other hand, you're right. Like, he, he's just a, not a very open guy anyway. I mean, people just clown him for his lack of words in press conferences. So, you know, having said that, though, this is the biggest regular season game of Belichick's career, too. Like, I, I, I just think that's getting a little overlooked by the fact that every network is just slamming the Brady narrative down everyone's throats. Let's also talk about the Bucks defense for a second. The Bucks are last in the NFL in sacks. They only have three sacks in three games. And that's a Bucks defense that ate Patrick Mahomes alive in the Super Bowl last year. They're down a couple corners that are injured. Hence bringing in Richard Sherman. It's going to sound weird to say it's not a very good defense right now. Dak and the Cowboys didn't have problems scoring on them. Covered the number. We talked about Atlanta. Through three quarters, Falcons were right in there. And all the people that had their money line parlays on Tampa Bay in week two as 12-point favorites probably can't even name the D-back that had the pick six. That open things up for New or Tampa, excuse me, in that week two Mike, game. Mike fucking Edwards. Mike, I remember just I, off the practice squad, I believe. Off the practice that week. Like, yeah. That's what the Tampa Bay secondary <laughs> is right now. Yeah, that's what and the pass rush is not getting home. So this defense is just not very good right now, which feels weird to say. But that's the reality. So I think that New England's going to score more than people want to admit here. And that Mac Jones, remember, he threw three picks last week. So he's going to protect the ball. And I think New England's got a chance here. When you look at the New England defense against the Tampa offense, well, I know they played Miami and they played the Jets and they played New Orleans. So they haven't played an offense in the same stratosphere as Tampa Bay. But we all know New England has a good defense, right? They have all those opt-out guys from last year back. 
New Orleans was the only team to score north of 20 against them so far this year. And as I said, that was courtesy of the Mac Jones three interceptions. If Mac Jones protects the ball, I think New England is absolutely a live dog in this game. Just looking at it on the field, saying Tampa's defense hasn't been great. New England's defense is pretty good. And it comes down to if the rookie quarterback for New England can just protect the football and manage the game and get them into the fourth quarter competitive. You don't think, for as much as everybody wants to say Brady going back and fired up like it's a Super Bowl-type game to go against Belichick, you don't think Belichick is maybe saving some tricks in the bag as the great defensive mind that he is for Brady here? Like, I think that's a two-way street, and right now the car's only driving on one of those you know, we're go- just going in the same lane here on the street, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, the Belichick thing, I don't think is getting the same attention, as you said, probably because he doesn't talk as much. Last point, there's just going to be immense line value on New England, too. What do you think the line was? I'm curious it, it, because I wrote this down. What do you think the line was, Alex, on this game in the summer? Bettable number, game of the year, obviously. There's like 10 games where the books will have like a game of the year lineup. This was obviously one of them. What do you think the line was on this game three months ago? That's a great question. Look ahead line in the summer. Patriots getting back a ton of defenders, like you mentioned. I would guess three and a half. Good guess. Tampa minus three. Okay. The number opened this week at five and a half. Now it's out to seven. Like I said, when I first started talking, I'm going to wait because – I'm sure there's more public money that'll come in. I'm going to hope to get the hook. I can't see it getting back below the seven. I'm going to take the seven and hope for that defensive game plan for New England, like I mentioned, kind of coming to fruition. And the New England offense doing well like a lot of the offenses that have gone against the Bucks defense have done so far. And it's just a bigger game in 2021 for New England. They can't go to one and three and really feel good about the rest of their season. So give me New England and the touchdown here. I love it. Primetime home dog. Let's rock and roll. I love your breakdown here. I'm just not rushing to back a rookie quarterback in this massive, massive primetime game. Motions are going to be high and Bucks are the best offense in the NFL. They're tied with the cards for most points through three weeks. They have 103, which is almost double what the Patriots have scored. They've scored 54 points so far. I'm looking more at the props. DraftKings has a ton of interesting ones, and one I'm taking is Tom Brady over under 67.5 passing yards in the first quarter. The no is plus 175, which I'm going to be playing. Really like this New England secondary. Yeah, the under. Under 67.5, so no, plus 175. The New England secondary is really strong, which we've seen in years past, and we're seeing it this year. Through three games, they're second in the NFL. They've only allowed 159.7 passing yards per game. Granted, like you mentioned, they've played inferior competition. They really haven't seen an offense quite like this. But I really just think emotions are going to be high. Brady, I think the nerves are going to be there, despite how professional he is and how much he prepares. I just think that's 
a good bit of yards for the first quarter. I really like this under. I would probably also look to full game, especially with this line. You would think the Bucks are doing pretty well. I think they're going to run the ball more than they throw. Yeah, so give me the under here. No, I certainly like that as well because, and, you know, I think to an extent it kind of correlates with my pick on the side. Not that I'm, you know, I, I like the New England side more than I like the total here, but I think you're right in the sense that, like, a lot of the things I was talking about with New England's defense having played well, Mac Jones kind of ma- just having to manage the game for them if they're going to have a chance here. Well, that would all lend itself towards under. And, you know, primetime game. Now, what do we think for New England on offense? And maybe this also lends itself to the under. No James White, as he's now out for the year. And, you know, obviously not a big fantasy name, but somebody that has always been that reliable safety valve for Brady or whoever's quarterback. So just, uh, you know, see how the running back rotation shakes itself out. But New England, they're always one to rotate their backs in and out. So I don't know if that's a huge factor here. Yeah, I don't think that's a massive loss. I still like what they have in the backfield. I think they'll probably try to get some easy passing plays with Jones, get him comfortable and run the ball more and, you know, try to battle this out on defense. Ugly, lower scoring game is the only way they can really win this anyways. Well, let's wrap things up on Monday Night Football, where for as much attention, rightfully so, as the Sunday night game gets, I think it's a very intriguing Monday night game. For the third straight week, we have a divisional battle on Monday Night Football. Lions-Packers in week two, Eagles-Cowboys in week three. And now the Raiders and the Chargers at SoFi Stadium in week four, where we're seeing the Chargers laying three and the hook, total of 52 and a half. Uh, That three and the hook is at plus money at a lot of books, it looks like. So you might still be able to get some threes on this game. And if you can, I'd grab it and lay it. Because I think the Chargers are definitely the side for Monday Night Football. I'll be playing them minus three. They're Greg Zerloin 50-plus yard kick away from potentially being 3-0. and Zerloin nailed it at the buzzer at the end of regulation against Dallas or for Dallas against the Chargers. Team doesn't make that. Game goes to overtime. Who knows what happens? We talked at the very beginning of the pod about Washington and how they've been kind of down. Let's still give the Chargers credit for going cross-country week one with a new head coach, Brandon Staley and playing as well as the Chargers did in that game against the football team. And then, obviously, I mean, how how can you not be impressed with the Chargers going to Arrowhead Stadium and winning outright as near a touchdown dog in that game? So you obviously have to like where the Chargers are at. I I think it's got to be legit. I mean, you know, they are, as I said, that Zerloin kick, if that doesn't go in, maybe they win the game in overtime against Dallas. And two pretty convincing performances – in their two wins anyway. Then we look at the Raiders, and it's a pair of overtime wins. You know, one against the backup quarterback-led Miami Dolphins and Jacoby Brissett. So I get it. There's some buzz about the Raiders right now, but this feels like a comeback down-to-earth spot for the Raiders, who easily could be 2-1 and one or maybe even 1-2. and two. And the one win they had in relatively comfortable fashion is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that win obviously doesn't look any better when you see what Pittsburgh did in week three against Cincinnati. So if I'm playing, I'm laying. And that's the Chargers. Monday Night Football. 
I, I think the Chargers, it, I think it's entirely possible that they're there all the way to the end with the Chiefs in this division. I think the Chargers are that good. And it's not even necessarily that I think Herbert is, you know, going to light the world on fire. I think he's a good quarterback. But I like this roster that the Chargers have put together. Rashawn Slater has come right in and done an excellent job at tackle. Uh, Mike Williams reviving his career there right now. Joey Bosa, Derwin James, like playmakers galore on defense as well. Like I said, Chargers minus the points. I need a Arnold Schwarzenegger drop. I gave them out week two and was looking for the go charges. But <laughs> I need to start need to edit that in. Need, need to edit this in. Chargers minus three. Gave it out on our Twitter spaces opening line conversation. Chargers and Lions were my opening leans. Uh, so Chargers are, this was close to my best bet. I like the Vikings a little more, but Chargers minus the short number at home, Monday Night Football. I'm right there with you. I I laid the three. I actually just bet it again. You kind of were getting me hyped with the Arnold Schwarzenegger drop I there. So I, I took it again. It, give me the better coach, the better quarterback, the better defense, the better playmakers. This is just a way yeah, better team. The Raiders, I see why like, people like is the Raiders. This just such an easy, undefeated pretender. Absolutely. I, I can see how people do like the Raiders. A couple of very exciting. Derek Carr has been excellent. Yeah, absolutely. He's been really good down the field, too, which I think the Chargers can limit. I really like the Chargers defense. I think they'll be getting home. Joey Bosa is going to have a field day. So I think that'll be a nightmare for Carr. I'm actually seeing that 56% of bets are on the Raiders right now on action, and that's with 6,000 bets tracked. But only 19% of the money is on the Raiders. So you're seeing 81% of the money on the Chargers with only having 44% of the bets. I like it even more. I really like the Chargers here. This is probably my favorite bet of the week. There he is. So some agreement on the Chargers side, agreement on the Minnesota side, agreement on the Detroit side. Uh, I don't know if we have any other sides in common this week, but that's three, which is pretty good. And uh, we'll just have to see how the rest of week four plays itself out. Alex, any final words? Any uh, weekend plans that you'd like to share with us i'm sure everybody's very envious of whatever you might have going on oh I'm, I'm sure people would be so jealous of what i'm doing i am going to be sanding and painting my deck again this weekend on saturday so oh. i won't be watching much college football but i do like uh the bet you were giving out earlier when we were texting wisconsin just a just a disgusting number. How are they laying points to anyone, let alone a Michigan team we've been seeing blowing the brakes off of everyone they played? So, yeah, I'm going to be taking Wisconsin. I probably won't even watch much of the game. I don't <laughs> love college football, surprisingly, which is which is weird to say. But, yeah, I'll be taking Wisconsin with you. So I'll, I'll check in on the score. I'll probably drink some beers while I'm, while I'm working on my deck. And that's about it. And I'll, I'll drink beers and watch professional football the real stuff on sunday <laughs> there he is and, and that yes that's right wisconsin for a bonus pick here on the nfl pod wisconsin in the college window uh myself and bill christie uh, lucha larry at larry's locks two on gambling twitter we are supposed to record uh, a college football podcast 
uh, that will drop on Friday. So he is Alex Uplinger, our producer, co-host, Jack of all trades at full underscore slate underscore pod. He manages the account. I am Greg Frank at undercover Greg on gambling Twitter. Alex, always fun, my man. We'll be talking. Uh, fired up for this week four. Yeah, sounds good. Really excited. Some great matchups here. As I said, he's Alex Uplinger. I'm Greg Frank. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Everyone, enjoy your Thursdays. Enjoy your weekends. Tune into our college football episode that drops on Friday morning. And, of course, please play responsibly. <laughs>